what are your thoughts about the vaccine affecting the well gloves gloves production what does that mean for the valuations what does that mean of course then for the stock price so vaccines and any kind of medication sure. uh, for covid has a lot more uh, so the implications are broader than than with gloves mm. Uh, it has it has implications on the entire economy, for That's example. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so first of all, I want to say that th- there have been a lot of misinformation floating around. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I dislike the most is that people seem to be uh, scared about not about the efficacy of the vaccines, mm. but about safety. Mm. Uh, which I, I I can't comprehend. Maybe is some innate uh, human fear of uh, the unknown, mm. right? Because some of the vaccines are based on uh, you know entirely new technology. Like for yeah. example, you have M- mRNA. So yeah. conspiracies going around. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I I'm not sure objectively what the reasons are, but this is again once again not the right thing for people to focus on. Okay. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firo.co slash free hello 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 welcome back to the firo podcast the best place for long-term stock investors or just investors period now today we're gonna get what i would say is an expert definitely an expert someone who more than an expert uh someone who is very interested in uh in in gloves and i think gloves has been a big topic right? yeah. a huge topic exactly. for the malaysian stock investing community and people want to know right the p is so low uh there's been a huge crash i think it's like 50 percent, 60 percent, something like that down and people want to know whether this is a good opportunity so this is the podcast for you so now let me introduce uh, our guest for today's podcast. Uh, all the way from Bulgaria, he has a degree in economics from uh, the University of Stratfordshire. Mm-hmm. He also has a Master of Finance. And currently, he is working uh, in the internet marketing space for an IT company. And uh, this man's name is Niago. Now, you may have heard of him in uh, Stockbit. If, you, if you're active in a you know, very good community, uh, from my point of view, you would know Niago, right? He is uh, the the gloves guy, so at least to me, right? So uh, welcome to the podcast, Niago. Welcome. You. How are you Thank doing, you guys? I'm very fine. Thank you. All right. <laughs> how, how are you? Oh, we, uh, excited. Uh, yeah, excited because uh, it's uh, it's a very beaten down topic in a yeah. way, glove, and we just want to hear uh, your views about it. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's and, and it's interesting because uh, we've actually never met before. Yeah, exactly. Until this podcast, yeah. right? And so. Uh, very excited to know what you have to say. Now, before we begin, uh, how do we meet, right? Um, we met again on Stockbit, 
basically, right? And then we were, we were on a clubhouse chat. I, I remember you were sharing. I think you went on for about five minutes to explain your thoughts, right? And I, I can only imagine that's only like well, less than 10% of the research you've done. Yeah. So now, before I begin, of course, um, what is... How, what is your background? Like, how do you, well, okay, I'll ask first, how do you end up in Malaysia from Bulgaria? Like, I don't, yeah. you're the first, you're, my, you're the first person from Bulgaria that I know. Well, sure. that I know in person, right? Yeah. I know who sure. Dimitar Bobotov is, yeah. but that's about it, right? <laughs> and, and also, how do you learn about investing? How do you start? So maybe start with how do you end up in Malaysia first? Yeah. Sure. So, uh, First of all, my wife is uh, Malaysian. Okay. So she's a local, and uh, that's reason enough, I guess. Okay. Uh, you meet her here? Uh, yeah, you can say so. Okay. Yes. It's it's a long story. Okay. I, I don't think it would be interesting for, for everybody <laughs> sure. to, to hear, you know, a sure. romantic story. That's not what they're, they're But what here brought for. you to Malaysia? That's that's more important. Uh, my wife. Ah. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you met her somewhere, and then you came here. Uh, yeah, you can say so. Okay. It's, it's a complicated story. Okay, sure. Uh, but... Yeah, the main reason why I ended up in Malaysia is because my wife is from here. She, she's from JB. I see. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the country very okay. much. So, for example, a lot of people are asking us why we are not in Europe somewhere or uh, or in Singapore, for okay. example. Mm-hmm. I, I've gotten a lot of such questions. And okay. I mean, I, I, I like Malaysia very much. Okay. Like, I, I, I have told my friends that I would say it's probably if not top three, top five countries in the world wow. where I, I think, uh, you know, you get you get the golden middle. You're, okay. like, you're like not too developed country where okay. you are, uh, you know, the life is too hectic and right. uh, and everything is very stressful. Like Singapore would be, you know, the, the <laughs> epitome of, it. of such a place. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and at the same time, it's not underdeveloped so that you are worried about your day-to-day life or something like this, right? That's so, right. So yep. there are not many countries. Uh, so John, for example, just now mentioned that uh, he visited Slovenia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Slovenia is one country that is, you know, near to how Malaysia is in terms of uh, quality of life, That's for right. example. Right. Yes. And, and another nice place where people might might want to go and live. But yes. Slovenia is like, uh, I think, two or three million people of population or something. Like it's an extremely small country. Correct. Right. So uh, it's not it's not that easy to go there, whereas Malaysia is, you know, uh, big and diverse and you right. have, you know, a lot of options here. Sure. So how long have you been in Malaysia? Uh, uh, for almost 10 years now. Wow. Well. And and is uh, guys for those of you listening, it's 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 proven, right? Because he, he he's using the last, he's the using last. The Malay, the no, he, he mentioned Pantang. Yeah, it's I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Malaysian. Okay, he's Malaysianized. Yes, basically Malaysian. Yeah. Okay, fan- fantastic, right? So then now, how about what got you interested in investing, and then specifically the Malaysian stock market? Okay. Um. So. In general, I've always been interested in reading stuff. Okay. And uh, by chance, I would say, when I was like in my very early 20s, mm-hmm. I read a book called uh, Random Walk Down Wall Street. Ah. Right? It's one yes, of yes. the very, very you know, fundamental um, books that you read one of your first investment books that, that you would, it's not even an investment book because it's yes. anti-investment it's book. It's anti-investment, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. So, uh, yeah. By I, Burton I, Malkiel, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. So I read it and 
some of the things made some sense. Okay. Uh, other things were like, uh, you know, wait a second. So one, one of the important things that, that uh, made an impression on me was, uh, so Marco was saying that um, why there are some people like Warren Buffett that, mm -hmm. that go ahead and for 50 years they are yes. successful in their investments is uh, because of the law of random numbers. So, so mm -hmm. you can have 100 monkeys shoot darts okay right. and then at least one or two will shoot uh, right in the bullseye right yes mm -hmm. so that's that's his theory of how it happened like uh, how right. you have warren buffett so for every one warren buffett you yeah. have a million people who lose from the stock market that's right, that's right. which is which is accurate like yeah. like on on surface level this is how it works yes um at the same time i so by the way the first uh, edition of this book is from like 1970 something yes. or yeah. something else. Mm -hmm. so um 1973 1973 yeah yeah it's, right. yeah it's very very long time ago yeah. so so very interestingly uh warren buffett a little bit later he gave a lecture called uh, like it, it was not called at that time later on it was named um the super investors yes. of graham yeah. and dodsville yes so in this uh, presentation or, or lecture or right. whatever you want to call it. So he explained that it's not about random numbers; it's about superior strategy. Yes, and he, you know, he, I would say he proved it and crushed the the theory in random walk down Wall Street. Right. Yes. So that doesn't this. So this is this what got me interested. Started. Yeah, right. in, interest in the topics. Um, I must say that I have had very poor financial education as as a youngster okay so for example in europe you have a very conservative system mm -hmm. so you uh, until very recently you you didn't really have a lot of opportunities for investing as a retail investor mm -hmm. right so for example you can go to Euronext, let's like say or something yeah. like mm -hmm. but of course so uh, there, there are a lot of problems so many people look uh, at Europe is a very coherent place mm -hmm. where, you know, Europe is like, uh, EU is like the US or something. Yes. It's not like this. It's, yeah. it's very, very different. And, uh, uh, you know, at least until recently, so for example, you had problems with uh, exchange rate, uh, you know, differences. Currencies. Until, yeah, cur current currency risk and so on. So it was not as simple to invest, for example. And even, even nowadays, I would say that the European stock market is not as matured as... Uh, you know, even some Asian markets. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. insights to me, actually. Uh, you, uh, When I was in Slovenia, I was just telling uh, Nyago, uh, I actually met with the exchange. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, Slovenia, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they only had, I think, about 30 to 50 stocks. Sure. For the entire exchange. That's like our KLC. Yeah. yeah. Very normal for <laughs> the small countries in Europe. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you say, I know this is somewhat of a divergent, but will you say that really in terms of investing in the um europe you're really looking at the western european stock markets which are i, I would presume more developed so uh yeah there is difference between the london stock exchange and mm -hmm. the, so there is a huge difference between yeah. continental europe mm -hmm. and the uk right? I see. so so in terms of uh, everything basically in terms of financial system in particular yeah mm -hmm. the difference is very significant what do you think are the differences Maturity, you can say, because okay. uh, I mean, the, the London Stock Exchange has been around for I don't know how much, like 150 years. I mean, this, this is the mother of all stock exchanges, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in continent, so 
continental Europe went through two world wars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it went through uh, a lot of consolidation in terms of... Um, so the countries were very uh, patchy. Okay. Like, for example, until the late 19th century, you didn't have... Uh, United Germany. Yes, mm. so 1871. You, yes. Yeah, you, 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 like, uh, it, and Germany is not the only state where this is for, but, you know, this is the, because An Germany example. is the central place of uh, yeah. everything that's going on in Europe. Yeah. So, um, probably if you didn't have this, uh, Germany was, you know, the, the, nowadays Germany was going to look very similar to, for example, how the Balkan Peninsula looks like or something yeah. like this. It's disfragmented right? and all that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess there are a lot of reasons. I haven't done in-depth research sure, on sure. what the reasons are. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in general, it's... Uh, so, for example, the other day I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Okay. So he's interested in investing in property or something. Okay. okay. So I told him that, you know, REITs are, in general, a good option that... that that I like. Okay. Or, uh, you know, you can say it's a direct investment in property. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you have this option and you have been having it in Malaysia for uh, quite some time now. Yeah. Uh, in Europe, yes, there are REITs, uh, specifically German, Spanish, uh, but you will not find a Bulgarian REIT, for mm. example. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and Bulgaria, for example, my country doesn't use the euro, mm -hmm. although the currency is really? pegged. Yeah, it, it is packed to, to, to the euro, okay, okay. but uh, it's not it's not using euro per se. Mm. So, um, and there are currencies that are you know totally free floating, for example. So they are not wow. They, that's insights. So so there, there's a difference between the European Union uh, and the eurozone. Mm -hmm. So mm. the eurozone, the countries that use the euro. So you can have countries in the European Union mm -hmm. not using the euro, right? For example, right? So uh, yeah, I think Turkey is it is that an example? Uh, is Turkey an example? So. Turkey is not in the European Union, oh, uh, but okay. so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so so you can, you have Europe, right? The continent Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have countries that are part of the European Union, mm -hmm. yeah. which is not all the countries in in Europe. Yeah, and you have countries that are in the eurozone that use the euro and are in the European Union, and you even have countries that use the euro and are not, not in the right. European Union. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and you, you have also the European Economic Area, and you yeah. know it's, yeah, it's, it's yes, complicated. Uh, I think yeah. this is for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so com coming, okay, so coming back to your investing journey. So you read this book, and then uh, you read the Super Investors of Graham and Dot's View. These were important readings, I would assume, in terms of your journey. My question is, how do you get interested? in Busa, Malaysia. What were your first experiences and forays into Busa, Malaysia? Yeah. Okay, so um, in general, my opinion of Bursa, Malaysia as a retail investor mm -hmm. and my opinion that I have shared with friends who are also retail investors mm -hmm. is that it's not a very good idea as sure. a retail investor to go directly in Bursa. Okay, mm -hmm. and why is that? Um, so there are a number of reasons for that. Um, in general, okay. In uh, so, in terms in terms of uh, uh, how 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 should I put it uh, in a softer manner? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are a number of reasons why I think investing as a as a retail investor on bursa might be troublesome for most people. Okay, uh, because in many cases prices stock prices on bursa don't make a lot of sense okay so from uh from a valuation point of view mm -hmm. prices uh deviate from what you would consider fair value sure. 
quite significantly for prolonged periods of time on bursa okay. as compared to more matured markets, for example. Okay. So this is one thing. Uh, another thing is that uh, what's worse is that, uh, for example, because of some um, structural reasons for bursa, like for, or, or in general, the stock market in Malaysia, like for example, you don't have capital gains tax. Mm. So this promotes short-termism. I see. Exactly. So, so uh, this means that a lot more frequently people will be looking at a very short turnaround for for their stock as compared to other markets, like for example in the US, where you can have like a corporate tax uh, or, or capital gains tax, that's like very high, thirty percent yeah. or something like yeah. this. So, so it's uh, you know a lot. You would think a lot more carefully when you enter a stock and when you exit it, yes, as compared to on bursa where you can just. You know, in and in and out, in flip, and out, flip, yeah, flip yeah. stuff. Um, so, uh, for a retail investor that is not very familiar with the dynamics of the market, mm -hmm. uh, this can play you a very cruel joke very mm -hmm. frequently. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that uh, you know a stock can easily deviate like 20, 30, 40 percent from from what uh, on other markets would be considered fair value, mm -hmm. uh, and and can stay there for a while, uh, yeah. right? So as a as a retail investor, you'll be like uh, get. Know, every morning you'll be waking up with less and less hair on your <laughs> on your head, right? So until you one day you just you know, cut loss or, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so are you personally invested in the Busamay? Or what is I guess what is your where are your investments today? You don't have to mention specific stocks, of course, but where where would you allocate your money? Oh, but before that I do want to ask him because yeah. he's a foreigner, right? Was it difficult to open a stockbroking account in Malaysia? Or is it because you already have a PR then it makes it easier? So it's not as straightforward as for a local, mm -hmm. for sure. But as I live in Malaysia mm -hmm. and as I have a bank account in Ringgit, okay, it's not as complicated as it would have been if I were living abroad and you know I right. I lived in in Europe or the US or something. I like see. This. So as long as you could have a Malaysian uh, denominated banking account, and do they need do they need you to show proof of income all these kind of things? Um, yeah, so it depends. I think it depends on the brokerage house. Okay. So different brokerage houses are uh, have different levels of strictness. Okay. I would say. Okay. I mean, I don't. I don't want to mention anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. No. Specifics. No worries. Yeah. But just your hat. Just as a as a as a foreigner coming in. And it's more complicated. Okay. So, uh, you know, yeah, they they look at, at visa and uh, oh. my, my visa and uh and and my passport I uh, see. you know uh, when it expires and so on so, I see. so yeah it's uh, it it requires more documents than it would for a malaysian how long did it take you end to end to open an account uh it's the same as 3 I, months I think. 2 months uh, no 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 it's it's like uh, a few days oh, oh okay it's not so bad yeah it's not yeah. so bad yeah, okay. yeah yeah okay all right yeah. okay yeah so so going back to my question right like so where are your investments today and how would you describe your overall investment philosophy um since you've been in Malaysia for 10 years, you've been presumably investing in the same amount of time you've been investing for 10 years as well? Um, okay, so this is th these are a few questions, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so uh, first of all, the first time ever that I invested in Bursa uh -huh. was last year when the market tanked. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Right? So, so prior to this, you were not invested no, in Bursa? No, I, right? I, I, I didn't like what I was seeing in general. I see. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, last year when when the market crashed, you can you can say because that's basically what happened at yep. the yep. end of March. Um, I would I, I think if you make some uh, you know backtrack 
And okay. if if you see if you, if anybody invested at the bottom or 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 even a few weeks after the bottom okay. in March or April, uh, they were going to be earning a lot of money now, right? Yeah. That's right. But yeah. everybody was like very concerned at that time. You know, nobody <laughs> knew what 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 to expect and stuff like this. so of course understandable but that's when i entered in some positions okay sure. uh i exited them by around late may and early june because i was thinking things were going a little bit ahead of where they were supposed to be going yeah of course they continued going on yeah. for quite a while yeah. later on and i i think they are still going actually yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean right now we are for, for many stocks we are at Valuation levels that are similar to pre-COVID times, which yeah. is, I mean, is I, I don't know how this makes sense, but <laughs> yeah. okay, like we are, we are there. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, I uh, I exit because I thought that the market is going over its head. Um, right, and uh, later on, I only re-entered uh, in late November, beginning of December. Okay, in mm-hmm. certain stocks that maybe we'll talk about later. Yeah, yep, definitely. Um, so. I am currently not invested in non-Malaysian stocks. Ah. Um, one of the main reasons is uh, currency risk. So uh, right now, with all the stimulus packages going, uh, you know, being uh, thrown around every country in the world, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to predict. Not a little bit. It's very difficult to predict uh, where exchange rates are going to go next. Okay. Like, uh, I mean, it's difficult to predict what governments are going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so for example, the latest news is that the Senate passed the uh, 1.9 trillion, uh, everyone's going to get a thousand, 4,000 us dollar check. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, For example, but you know, the crazy thing is that it passed with 50 to 49 majority. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, this is not something that you can predict, right? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so, uh, and 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 it it has signif- It would most likely have significant effect on uh, the U.S. exchange rate because you are adding liquidity to the like. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not just adding liquidity to uh, bank balance sheets, for yes. example. Yep. Yes. You are you are straight up injecting it Retail. into retail. Yeah. Put yeah. it in the hands of the consumer straight away. Exactly. So, yeah. so you know, this this is supposed to result in inflation in normal times and so on. So, you know, it's it's not something that I can um, I can gauge with my limited capabilities. I would say. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it, so that you actually know what you're doing especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing you also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. I see. So I presumably see. last year where, where you start putting some money into the Malaysian stock market is when you got interested into gloves. Right, and that's really what this podcast is going to be about, right? It's yeah. going to be about gloves. So, I want to ask you, right? 
what got you interested to glove specifically? Is it because of the crash or are there other reasons for it? Yeah. Okay, so in uh, March last year, mm-hmm. when I started entering stocks, I did not enter gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, when gloves started going up in uh, June or whatever, mm-hmm. I did not enter gloves. Mm-hmm. So I only entered gloves, started entering uh, at end of November. Right. Oh, okay. So uh, what are the reasons? Uh, first, uh, what, are the, what are the reasons for my timing, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, so before, it, it's very... Uh, you know, it's, it's ironic uh, because before all the news about vaccines were out there and yeah. we knew what was going to happen approximately with mm. vaccines, okay. uh, there was no certainty about anything in regards with gloves. Okay. So, I mean, o- obviously, uh, you know, nowadays valuations and the future prospects of gloves are very dependent on the pandemic and the post-pandemic world. Um, so without having a clearer idea of how vaccines were going to affect the pandemic, you couldn't really uh, reliably invest in gloves. Okay. Like so, so for example, I told a lot of uh, my friends that did invest at that time in gloves that um, you know they are asking me, oh, how is it possible? You know, gloves are dropping for like six months now. These are you know billion dollar earning companies and, and stuff like this. Like it doesn't make any sense. Mm. So I told them that the current drop makes almost as little sense, but less le- less little sense yeah. than the uh, wave of everybody, yeah, the rise Rise, last year. So last year, the rise was purely speculative. Nobody nobody had any idea what was going to happen. Uh, Nobody knew if the pandemic was going to end in the middle of 2021, middle of 2022. That's right. You know, nothing. So um, right now, there's clarity. Mm -hmm. And there was clarity since, uh, I would say, last September, Mm -hmm. approximately, when, when vaccine news started coming out. Yeah. So clearly started start coming out as well. Uh, but why I started entering late November was because of the factory news about uh, Top Glove. Ah. Right? So that's when uh, uh, value, uh, the market price start, started dropping very significantly. That's right. Um, so that was when I, I believe it became a, a, good, a good opportunity. I see. Right. So specifically, because I am not a keen follower of gloves, so specifically, what about that news, uh, that factory that got you interested? Yeah. Oh, so it, it's very funny because mm-hmm. um, for the one month between the first time when the cluster Taratai was oh, discovered mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to, uh, I, I like to call it the JP Morgan period. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. for, for, for viewers who are not familiar, that was when the JP Morgan report started. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, so within that one month of time, the price of uh, Top Glove fell by about 20%. Yeah. And um, initially, the first few days, I was actually waiting to get guidance on uh, how much those closures of factories were going to affect their earnings potential. Mm-hmm. And they released news that it was by about 3 to 5%. Okay. So, okay, how is it possible that the price can fall 20% yeah. when <laughs> earnings are affected just 3 to 5%? Three to 5% right. So, uh, this is an obvious, like, intrinsic arbitrage opportunity, I would say. Mm. Right. Um, another reason is because uh, at that time already, uh, prices were go- starting to go down mm. for, for gloves. They were... Um, you know, from from levels that I considered approximately at, at fair value. Okay. Um. So yeah, it was 
that's 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 how it started. Right. Okay. And so, it was very focused on top glove, but not uh, the other players. Why? Why so? I mean, you've uh, obviously based on the article, which we'll talk about later. But you covered quite extensively other, the other glove makers. But why specifically top glove? Because was it because it was the biggest market cap, or was it because? So uh, a number of reasons why I like top glove mm. uh, against other companies, for mm. example, in the field. Uh, and, and I'm not investing in top glove by the way, mm. okay, uh, uh, only, but. Um, so, for example, a lot of people have been asking me about Harta Lega, mm. right? So, Harta Lega has been commanding for uh, for many years now the the highest profit margin in the industry. Yeah, they are rumored to have the best technology in in the area. Right. Like, yeah. You know, light years ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Um. So, I think these are some of the reasons why Harta Lega's price hasn't gone. Down as Much. significant, and the valuations are still higher yes, than the rest. Yes, right? you can say so. Mm. So you know the holders of Harta Lega are usually very very long term holders. Mm. So you would have uh, a lot smaller. Um, you know, I don't want to call it dumb money, but it, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's money that uh, you know wants to enter and, and exit. You know, ter- turn yeah. turn o- turn over very quickly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this is the reason why. Uh, it, it doesn't have so much to do with uh, the company per se mm-hmm. as uh, with the shareholdership, I guess, and yes. with the uh, market prices that get discovered because of uh, because of the shareholdership, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I would be, I, I told everybody, I would be very, very happy to invest in, in Harta Lega, for example. It's, mm. a, it's, a, it's an incredible company. Mm. It's just that the opportunity, um, you know, valuation-wise, is not as good as... The arbitrage is not as good. Uh. Yes, right. for example. Right. So... Uh, another thing that, of course, I like about Top Glove is that it's a true growth stock. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whereas Hart Lega is a pretty slow mover, okay. and, and, and mm. it's natural because uh, you know they, they 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 want to do high quality stuff, and you know they want they take many many years to plan and build their factories and so on. So, for example, if you look at the um, plans, the mm-hmm. expansion plans, uh, Hart Lega's uh, capacity production capacity right now is something like thirty eight or thirty nine billion glass per year mm-hmm. they are planning on increasing that to 44 billion within the next two years or something mm. which is okay. which is great i mean in, yeah. in non-pandemic times this is very good growth yeah but uh, top Glove just on friday they released their new investor presentation mm-hmm. and so right now so before covid started mm-hmm. their capacity was something like 74 billion gloves okay. per, per annum mm-hmm. uh right now it's 93 billion oh, wow, wow. And they are planning to increase that to 208 billion <laughs> by 2024. It's so the two, one, one X, uh, more than 1X. Uh, yeah, that's 99, huge. So, yeah. Uh, so, this is, so the capacity before COVID is 35% of their capacity in 2024. Wow. So, uh, you know, there, there have been a lot of people that have been saying, like, okay, um, ASPs, you know, uh, ASPs. Uh, uh, right, every selling yeah. price is like the keyword for, yeah, for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Which okay, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more later. Yeah. But uh, so they're saying, oh, you know, uh, there'll be uh, oversupply and demand right, will right. dry up, yeah. and uh, and then ASPs will will go down from these crazy levels that sure. they're at right now. Uh, so even if they go back to pre-pandemic times, yeah, if you have three times the capacity, so mm. you'll be, you know. Even at depressed ASP levels. Yeah, I mean, at pre-pandemic levels, right. for example, right? So, uh, of course, there are a lot of people that believe that ASPs will go down to uh, $1 per 1,000 pieces. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I don't have anything to say to these guys. Yeah. Uh, but 
in general, um, uh, capacity is increasing. So these these companies are very cash rich yeah, right now. That's right. So for example, I did a very simple calculation a few days ago about Supermax. Mm -hmm. So Supermax, they are sitting on about 3.5, 3.6 billion yeah. uh, ringgit cash. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And uh, let's say they continue on and they have a, few, a couple of more great quarters, mm -hmm. let's say. I, I think this is not unreasonable to think, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And let's say they increase the cash pile to 5 billion. Okay. And imagine if they don't do anything with that money. Yeah. They just keep it in the bank at 3% deposit or whatever. Yeah. So they're, they're going to be earning 150 million ringgit <laughs> per year, which is, which, is more, which is more than their annual net profit before COVID. Oh COVID. So yeah, they, don't crazy, to, they don't need to <laughs> do anything. Change right? of nature of business from making gloves to investment holding. For example, yeah. for example, so so this is this is, this is what I argued. So yeah, yeah. if you have so much cash, yeah. you don't even need to go for gloves, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you are bearish on gloves yeah. as a company owner, let's yeah. say you say, oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Uh, although I don't see any of the glove owners being bearish on gloves, right? <laughs> yeah, obviously, so yeah. I, I I assume that they know the business better than me or, yeah, or yeah. most other people, right? Yeah. So. They are not bearish, but let's say that they thought, okay, there will be oversupply. Mm. You just go and do something else. You invest in, uh, I don't know, in EV companies, right? <laughs> or, or, or whatever. And Solar or whatever. Yeah, like like something that is just generating some 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 income for you. It's right. already going to be you know better than pre-pandemic times for mm. you. And uh, and valuations have just risen by uh, like two to three times for for most of the glove companies, mm -hmm. which you know it, it just doesn't make sense that makes right. sense. okay speaking speaking of valuations right so uh this is a, from a uh, website share investor uh correct me if i'm wrong because i think you're more on the pulse on this so i think right now the trailing pe of top glove is about 10 and i'm hearing that the uh for hata lega it's about 17 nearly 18 supermax is at five right supermax is everyone's favorite one and yeah, yeah and and people are doing like using uh doing projections based on ASP, based on uh number of gloves produced to produce a forward P. Yeah. Right. So uh, the question I want to ask you right now is suppose and I'm sure you've done the math on this, suppose if ASP prices drop by half, let's mm, say. By half. Uh paint me a picture of what that will look like. Oh this is this is the regular projection. So okay, this is okay. the this is the projection that uh and, and this this is something very okay so a lot of people that did enter gloves mm -hmm. last year in mm. the, around the peak, especially. Yeah. So they are like very concerned about ASPs. They are like, oh, ASPs yeah. must uh, continue growing right. yeah. uh, quarter on quarter and, and, and so on. So first of all, no, they, they don't and they won't. Yeah. They mm -hmm. won't. Yeah. Supply and demand. It's so, yeah. It's, it's just so. It seems like people think that ASPs are just some, uh, you know, esoteric thing that is floating <laughs> yeah. somewhere out there. It's not like this. So, so ASPs are just the result. You know, any price on the market is result of the equilibrium between supply and demand. Yes, Correct. Right. right. So, so it's uh, there were people that were saying about glove companies that they are profiteering and so on. Uh -huh. So, no, they are not. This is just pure supply and demand. So, Correct. if you have if you have limited supply, like. At equal supply, if your demand skyrockets, yes, price follows it. Yes, it's not. It's like uh, you know we are we are talking about pure business sense here. We're not talking about 
you know, any kind of unscrupulous, uh, you know, unique strategies that they are employing and taking advantage of people or something yeah. like this. So uh, anyway, ASPs are going to to fall. Right. Uh, recently, I uh, I posted an uh, an article. It <laughs> was actually based on um, so uh, Topclaff recently filed for a listing IPO on right. the uh, Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So in that filing, which is like 700 something pages long, <laughs> so there are a lot of um, excerpts from a, um, a market report of Frost and Sullivan. Yeah. And uh, in that report, they give expectations on ASPs. Okay. Sure. Predictions. So uh, yeah, ASPs are most likely going to fall by about 50% nice. year on year yeah. okay. uh, from 2021 to 2022. Mm. Uh, and then they are going to fall further, maybe thirty or forty percent, for uh, into twenty twenty three. For wow. example. Wow. Okay. So okay. so this is completely expected already, and this is perfectly fine. Yes. So um, uh, the, the ASPs are most likely going to normalize around twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five when uh, so supply already catches up with demand, for example. Mm. Um, so. ASPs are more important for, or you know, in general, the, the current level of ASPs are, would be more important if the valuations were very high. So, for example, if you have uh, P, specifically tra trailing P of, uh, of 15, 20, 25. Which was so the normal P for Top Glove before pandemic. Uh, yeah, before before Top uh, before before that, most of the gloves were, were trading at 30, 40. Uh, Hapalega was 40 an average something. 40, 50. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, if, if it was at those levels, yes, you'd be worried about ASPs. But if, if the uh, P is, is like 5 or 10, yeah. you know, it's... It's not it's not such a big concern in general. Mm. Uh, so one thing that you mentioned is that uh, according to the site where yeah, you're, yeah, where yeah. you were checking, the P of Top Graph is ten. So bear in mind that tomorrow they're going to release mm -hmm. their quarterly results mm. for the last quarter. Mm. Right. So they have one full quarter right now that is pre-pandemic times. Ah. So so that's why their uh, their P is slightly higher than, for example, for Supermax. Right. So for Supermax, all of the quarters right now are post-pandemic. I see. Um, so, okay. I, 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 okay, so it's more important probably, especially in such cases of extreme, um, you know, earnings, yeah. to look at forward piece rather than... Right. Uh, rather so what are your backwards. thoughts on the forward piece, right? This is what I really want to understand. Like, uh, so what do you think, where the ASPs will be? Where do you think the supply situation is going to be? And also, of course, projections. Uh, forward piece. So yeah. it, it's it, it's it's very interesting because um, uh, with different companies it might uh, you, you might face different levels of difficulty at figuring all of this out. Right. Yeah. Um, so you need to look at extremes, extreme cases. So the extreme for Malaysian valuations is super max. Mm -hmm. So at least right now, ah, mm -hmm. right? So for for super max, the company is uh, trading right now at approximately three forward p. Consensus forward P, mm. so it's three. Mm. Um, so, if um, okay, I, I I wrote a pretty long post on that how how the calculations worked and so yeah, on. Yeah. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around how to how. You to need reference to it? Yeah, I mean we can put it up if you if you need yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, 
Okay, so basically, what what uh, how how my calculations worked is that if you uh, if you include the current cash of the company, okay. right, and if you include the projected earnings for the next two years alone, okay, this is already where the current market cap is included. Okay, like I believe this is the article. This is your article, right? Is this the one? Oh yeah, this is this is a quick post. Yes. Okay. So yeah. so do you need it? Oh no, it's okay. okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so basically, what this means is that the company would not need to make a single cent after the next two years. Okay. And that would be the valuation that you get right now. Okay. Right. So, so stop business production zero zoops. Yes, the company bankrupts. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so obviously it doesn't make any sense. Mm. So this is at the uh, the, the pinnacle of um, of uh, misvaluation, I would say in mm. this case. Mm. Uh, the reasons are many. So for example, we're talking with a friend about why the valuations are so suppressed right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, we all know about the shorting. Of, of gloves, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, anybody yeah. who has been observing Bursa knows yes. about so this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for, for example, for um, uh, to give you an idea of how crazy the amount of money that has been poured into shorting gloves has mm-hmm. been since uh, the beginning of the year when uh, regulated short selling was re-allowed. Yeah, re-allowed, yeah. Uh, so, gloves alone constitute almost 80% wow. of all shorting like the the entire value of all short positions on any stock on bursa, this just the four companies. Yeah, right. That's so the big four lah: Top Glove, Hatalega, Supermax, and Kosan. Yes, just yeah. these four companies. Yeah, and Top Glove alone uh-huh. uh, represents fifty percent <laughs> of the short. The short <laughs> position on Top Glove represents fifty percent of all short positions on Bursa Malaysia. Yeah. So um, this is one reason, obviously. Yeah. Another another reason is the weak sentiment since vaccines and so on. Yep. So recently, um, unfortunately, we had uh, derivative products that uh, were in the money. I don't want to mm-hmm. you know yep. t- talking much much more yeah. in, sp- yep. Yep. in terms of specifics. Yeah. Which means that uh, certain institutional investors might have had to take bearish positions on gloves. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to these derivatives in the money. Yeah. Um, and this actually eventually resulted in uh, margin costs. Mm. Right. So the last few weeks, what you saw was a very sharp drop in, yeah. in price of gloves. Yeah, and I think it did to four ninety, if I'm not mistaken. The uh, so yeah. Supermax went almost until four. Mm. So wow. the cash on hand that Supermax has translates into something like uh, one point. 1.5 or something. Yeah. This is the cash that the company has. 1.44 yeah. per cash per share. Cash yes, per something share. like this. Yeah. Yes. So, so it's <laughs> half of the price <laughs> of the of the market. Price, yeah. Right? So so um, uh, yeah, th- there there are reasons for this. Understand. Uh, for for me, it started making sense, and valuations were approximately at fair value or below fair value mm. since November. Right now, it's just uh, you know, it's, more. it's uh, even more attractive. Like. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Um. So with Top Glove, because of all the things that have been happening with the company, yeah. it's a little bit more difficult to gauge um, their valuation and how exactly to evaluate the company. Mm. So for example, as the leader in the um, in, in glove production basically in the world, uh, they have certain amount of, um, of influence on prices on the market in general. Mm. So for example, if they need to, they can reduce utilizations yeah. Of, uh, of their Factories, production facilities. Yeah. 
if they if they do want to do that, for yeah. example. Mm. Um, so uh, you have the Hong Kong listing, you have the factory closures, uh, you have negative um, negative rep because of the CBP ban. So the the two of their subsidiaries were were banned last year from importing in the US. Mm. So you have um, you know one of the one of the worries about the Hong Kong listing for Top Club, for example, is that uh, institutional investors from the U.S. in particular uh-huh. would be very reluctant to go into that oh, mm. okay. because of that ban. CBP ban, yeah. Um, uh, although, of course, uh, from what I'm hearing, China investors are very bullish. For mm. example, we will, okay. I know we'll talk about Intco in a while. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so probably they will be the ones that will uh, buy more of uh, more of the IPO and the, the, and the first weeks of trading on, on Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Okay, okay, yeah, just just to go back a little bit on the shorting, uh, I, I, and I agree, uh, the sentiment is really bad. There's a lot of shorting and all that. But the shorting amount, even though it sounds big, 80% and 50% on top glove, right? What's your counter? I mean, I have, I have a counter to that in the sense that the amount of uh, short positions on, based on, Bursa, uh, on top glove's market cap is less than 2%. You know, I'm pretty sure you know about yeah, this. Yeah, of, co- yeah, of yeah. course. So it doesn't really, in a way, uh, move the market like something like GameStop, you know, because it was like 120% more than the market cap. But in, in, in this case for Top Glove, what, what's your answer to that? It's a very different situation, of yeah. course. Yeah. So um, uh, the mechanics have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. So for example, on Bursa, you have a limit right now from this year yeah. on regulated short selling that is 4% mm-hmm. of, uh, of the stock. Uh, of, of the outstanding oh. stock on uh, on a company. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the comparison is you know you, you can't make a comparison between the, this situation and, and and GameStop for example. Mm. Uh, but uh, so what that short position exploited mm-hmm. is what I mentioned in regards with uh, stockholdership, uh, mm. the profile of the of the shareholders okay. of, of the companies. Mm. So and then, for example, some people were asking recently why uh, the short sellers st- suddenly started being interested in public bank ah. or or very recently in Air Asia, for mm-hmm. example, or mm-hmm. something like this. Mm. So I don't think these short because short positions in their nature are short term. Yeah. So uh, they don't have a lot to do with fundamentals Understood. of the company. So yeah. they don't have to do with the business uh, prospects of a company or or an industry. Yeah. They have a lot to do with uh, the potential for uh, trading trading opportunities in a, in a stock, and when you dump such large amount of money as was dumped on the glove, like for example, the first day on the fourth of January itself, uh-huh. almost one billion ringgit mm-hmm. was worth of stock was shorted wow. on the four companies just mm-hmm. in one this one day. Okay, right? so uh, the the reason why this huge amount was needed, this market moving amount, is because you uh, you, you want to flush out the weak holders, mm. right? So if you if you have to, if you, if uh, obviously this is not something that we have very good visibility on yeah. as, as retailers, for yes, example. Yes, you don't we, have that kind of data sets. Huh? You, 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 cannot, you cannot know how much the retail holdership is. Mm. You cannot, uh, with 
any meaningful certainty, I would say. Yeah. You cannot know how many people have entered in the last uh, one month or three months or there. You, you cannot know how much of this amount is on margin. Mm. You can't know that. But the, the institutional investors have all of this data available. Yes, yes. And this is exactly what transpired. So it took some time for, for example, the margin accounts to be flushed out. Mm -hmm. And then it happened the last few weeks, for example. Correct. So, so they did that. Yeah. Uh, and you saw, for example, institutional investors, especially foreign institutional investors and EPF, they started very aggressively going back in gloves again. Correct. Mm. So EPF was right there uh, throughout the, you know, when, when, when price were rising last year. Yeah. And I assume that actually their average acquisition price for some of the glove companies is pretty steep. Yeah. So right now they are using this opportunity very well to average down. Mm -hmm. So EPF is averaging down on, on gloves and, and they are very aggressive. I, I wrote a quick post on that, I see. on the actual statistics on that. So they increased their position in top glove by uh, about 12 point something percent just over the last three weeks. Wow. In Harta Lega by 15 percent. Wow. wow. Yeah. So they are, they are going aggressively and the second most aggressive player is actually foreign funds. Mm. So foreign funds have been going out of Malaysia mm. the last uh, few for, months. for a while now, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Um, mostly, so for foreign funds, political risk is a very important matter. Yeah. Uh, and Malaysia is definitely not, uh, you know, political yeah. risk in Malaysia is, is elevated to yeah. say the least. <laughs> uh, so they have been going out of most of their holdings. They are entering gloves mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Because I'm I'm looking at the insiders that recently bought. Yeah, you're right. Because EPF is just walloping a lot, especially during the last week of February and March. Uh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. EPF yeah. is aggressive. Yeah. So yeah. um okay, so for the last few weeks, uh specifically the last three weeks, uh -huh. the main sellers of uh -huh. gloves uh -huh. have been in the category of local institutions. Uh, -huh. uh again. I believe this does not have a lot to do with fundamentals. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to do with uh, the aforementioned derivative products. Mm -hmm. So they just, uh, like, I, I don't know if you've talked about uh, structured warrants on some of your shows. Oh, yeah, we, 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 I've uh, actually spoken to private bankers and all that before, and they actually offered all these uh, structured products. It's uh, like he's asking whether we spoke about it on our show before. No, no. No, no, no. we haven't. No. Yeah. But, I, but, but of course, outside, we've spoken to sure. them yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, so basically what happened is that you have the structured warrant that would relatively rarely be a, in a position in the money mm. at expiry. Yes. Uh, why this happens is because... Uh, so there are many reasons why this happens. Uh, uh, for example... Pricing structured warrants is based on a noble winning formula. So mm. it's called Black's Cost model. Yeah, yeah Black's Cost, yes. Um, so in a nutshell, when buying structured warrants, you uh, you bet against the formula mm -hmm. and you bet against the institution that issues the structured warrants. Yeah. So by law, the institution has the right to hedge its position. Mm -hmm. And it hedges the position by buying in advance mother share stock. Yes, and they have the right, perfectly fine, mm -hmm. to start selling that stock near expiry, provided that the structured warrant is a is a co warrant. Right? It's a co warrant. So, so yes. they, they are put warrants, co warrants. So for put warrant, if they want to, they can they can continue buying the mm -hmm. stock. Mm -hmm. For co warrants, they can they can sell the stock to suppress the price potentially. Yes. So this perfectly uh, 
you know, allow, allowed. Uh, so I believe this is the main reason why local institutions have been have been heavily set. Like it has been very dramatic the <laughs> the sale in terms of stats for the last couple of weeks, in particular right. when the warrants were expiring. Mm, interesting, interesting. Okay, so now here's an interesting one, which is uh, Inco. Yeah, right, the Chinese company. The Chinese. Um, supposedly interested. I, I, I again, I'm not into gloves, so I'm not sure. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. They they have already begun manufacturing gloves, or they're just interested. So Inco uh, have been the biggest um, manufacturer of gloves in China. Mm-hmm. Chinese companies in general are focused on vinyl gloves, yeah. PVC gloves. Mm. Um, so the difference right now is that Inco are investing heavily in nitro gloves. So traditionally, most of the uh, world production of nitro gloves has been happening in Malaysia. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, so before the show, we had a brief chat about that. Right. So Malaysia has certain advantages. You mentioned climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So climate is an advantage in producing rubber, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, this is the material used for latex mm-hmm. gloves for for natural latex gloves. Uh, but nitro gloves are produced with uh, nitrobutadiene. Yeah. So this is a chemical. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of climate, it's not a problem for that right. to be produced anywhere else as yeah. well. Uh, but of course, note that this hasn't happened, yes. right? So before the crisis, this hasn't happened. Uh, Malaysia has advantage in terms of... Uh, the, the biggest advantage right now of Malaysia is uh, that it already has an established infrastructure for all of this. So yeah. you have the full range of suppliers mm-hmm. necessary for for this industry to work mm-hmm. so for this to be built somewhere else you need to start from scratch mm-hmm. so you need to build all of your suppliers of, uh, of the entire ecosystem yes you have to build the ecosystem from from scratch yeah so this this requires additional funds obviously yeah uh, in terms of malaysia versus china in mm-hmm. particular mm-hmm. so in china fuels are much more expensive. Mm. So, for example, what I'm hearing is that Inco is considering investing in some very, very high-tech facility where they can somehow use coals. Okay. I mean, co- coal, coal, coal. Coal, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, coals are, um, uh, you know, their price in China is is uh, reasonable yeah. as compared to, for example, if you go for, uh, for natural gas, which is what most of the glove companies in Malaysia are using for their production. Yeah. Uh, so, it's it's some very very complicated and expensive facility that mm-hmm. they are planning on building. Okay. Uh, so for Intco, um, w- why they are so special and why I assume you are asking about them yeah. is because they have been releasing some news about some very aggressive expansion plans. So yeah. for example, they are considering expanding uh, their production by 120 billion pieces, pieces of glass in the next two years or something like this. So obviously in order for this to happen, they need a lot of capital. And they are listed on the Shenzhen Stock Exchange and they are in the some of the some, the equivalent of our ACE market or something like they are not even on the main star, market. Right? I think it's called I'm not star. I'm not sure it's either A shares or there's this term. I'm not very familiar with a, Chinese markets. A, a shares yeah. are the standard China shares, okay. the mainland China shares. Okay. Um, and yeah, they're going to the star market. I think yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's the secondary or whatever market. Not the secondary. How how do you call this? The the sub market. Yeah, it's like right. the Nasdaq in a way or the Ace market. I think that's yeah, a better yeah. example for for, for uh, the Malaysian equivalent, for example. So yeah. they're going to list themselves on 
uh, on Hong Kong mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So they need a lot of extra capital to do all that they are planning on doing. Mm. And to do that, their huge risk is ASPs. So, ah. so one thing that we didn't mention earlier was that, uh, for example, why Supermax, uh, like if you, if you look at the profit margins right now during the pandemic for mm. the different glove companies in Malaysia, mm. Supermax is the total leader in terms of uh, profit margin. Mm. Right. Why? is one, one of the main reasons, of course, because their model is different from their company. So they are an OBM, OBM producer yeah. versus OEM for everybody else. Which uh, So for, for an OBM producer uh, or, or, or seller, uh, you, you can raise your prices much faster uh, and much more aggressively, quicker than, than the rest of the players. Mm. But later on, when prices start dropping, your prices are also going to start dropping faster than for the others. Mm. So uh, Intco is also predominantly an OBM player. I see. So... Uh, the imminent drop in ASPs is actually much more dangerous for Intco than for any other OEM producer, uh, including for Supermax, for example. And and why is because the only way they can justify all of these huge investments is if they can continue to churn in enormous profits at enormous profit margin Mm. year after year. Mm. So their profit margin is actually even crazier than for Supermax. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last few days, I tried to read up on their uh, application for HK listing. Okay. Um, So it's difficult to understand why, because they are not releasing a lot of... uh, So China companies, in terms of information... Disclosure. Disclosure are not as great as many other companies in the world. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I spotted is that their sales in China have increased dramatically. Okay. So, for example, before that, their sales in China were something like uh, uh, low single digits okay. per year out of all of their production. So, most of their production was going, for example, to the US and Western Europe. Okay. Uh, for last year, more than 25% of their sales were in China. Mm. So, it is possible that, for example, their aggressive expansion plan might have something to do with some uh, insider information that they have from the China ah. government, for example. I mean, this is because China and a lot of developing countries, they start from a very low base yep. in terms of usage of gloves. For capita, so for, yep, yep. For, for example, in the advanced countries of Western Europe and, and the US, you have 200 pieces. to even 300 pieces of glove yeah. used per person per year. Yeah. In China, it's something like six. Yeah. Oh, it's gone up. The last I checked was two, but it was two uh, years ago. So, so <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's a little bit up. They yeah. use mostly vinyl gloves mm. in manufacturing, for example. Mm. So, but in healthcare, for example, the the usage is very minimal. Mm. Uh, it's the same thing, for example, for India or Indonesia or the, all the very populous countries in the world. Yeah. Um. So I think that might have something to do with what Inco are doing I and see. with their plan. I see. Uh, which, so. It's it's interesting because uh, and, and and that's why I'm very happy that yeah. uh, we talk about Inco because most of the investors in Malaysia they actually focus on the new players in Malaysia, mm. the, the which number hearts, the SMEs, so yeah, like HLT and yeah, all those guys. Yeah. Right? Uh, so 
yeah, H- HOT is you can say a supplier, but okay. uh, but uh, they're they're focusing on, for example, AT systematization yeah, or whatever. Right, right. You know, no, all right. the ma- into the production ma- massing. Yeah, you know, they 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 started. You know, since last year, all these companies started announcing that they are suddenly building new factories. Yes, yeah. yes. yes. And of course, I can understand it because as an, a Malaysian investor that is looking just at the Malaysian environment, yeah. this is what you read about in the news. It's, yes. it's normal nature, of course. Yeah. So what happened is that I calculated how much the total incoming capacity from all of these new players, which is actually 19 new players yeah. in total, including acquisitions of already existing companies, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I haven't excluded the current, uh, the current capacity that these acquired companies already have. Mm-hmm. I include everything yeah. just to to show how ridiculous this. Yeah. So the total expansion will be by about fifty one billion pieces in the next two years. Okay. For all of the players altogether. Okay. So for Intco, it will be one hundred and twenty billion for <laughs> one company. So so instead for for the Malaysian investors, instead of them focusing on Intco, yeah, they are focusing on all of these companies that uh, release reports one for one quarter. I uh, know half la, half of what Inco is planning to increase in one year. <laughs> less than half. Half, yeah, yeah. fifty, yeah, right. yeah, less than half. So, um, you know, once again, investors are focusing on on on, on the wrong things. Mm. Uh, so that's why it's very important to understand the strategy of Inco, or at least try to figure out the strategy of Inco. And I wrote an article on that okay. that was related to production in the United States. So the United States is by far the biggest consumer of gloves in the world. So on the demand side, the U.S. Uh, has a lot of influence. Yep. Um, so the U.S. recently announced that they are going to be uh, building up production uh, in house, so yeah. they're, they're going to be building in country, uh, Yes, they're, they're going to be they're going to be building facilities both for the chemicals required for the nitro gloves mm-hmm. and for the actual gloves on U.S. soil. Yeah, and then they are going to supposedly be serving fifty percent of their medical needs. Mm. Okay, so it, they're they're going to be do, doing this on on U.S. soil. Yeah, I don't know if you have heard Supermax pl- plan to build a factory. In the U.S. itself, yeah, for the example. owner bought a house in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is, that was I, more dramatic <laughs> than the factory. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I don't know if this is particularly related, <laughs> but uh, preparing. <laughs> it it is possible that uh, you know it has something to do with that, but in general, the more important thing is that um, so companies that have exposure to the U.S. in terms of an export market, mm-hmm. they might have bigger problems than other companies mm. so w- one of the reasons why i'm interested in top glove more than for example other players is because top glove are exposed to the u.s market to a much lower extent uh-huh. so for example they so out of malaysia about 35 percent of the exports of medical gloves go to the u.s mm-hmm. but for top glove the percent is about 20 mm. i see so this is a much less uh, influential market for for top glove as for other players, for example. So for Intco, the U.S. market represents about fifty percent half of their of their exports. So uh, you know, if if you see that, you will start being a little bit worried about the companies mm. that are exporting to the U.S. We know also about the um, the U.S. China negative relationships, yes. and uh, it's not inconceivable that uh, new tariffs might be imposed on imports from China. It will not happen right now. Mm-hmm. So it will not happen this year. It will not happen next year. Uh, it will happen only once we are 
you know, out of the muddy waters of the pandemic one, once and for all, specifically as far as gloves are concerned. Yep. So, but it, it is very likely that something like this might happen. It might be more difficult for China producers to export their stuff to, 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 the, to US. the US as compared to Malaysian producers. Mm. So uh, I am, I, my overview of INCO is strictly negative. Mm. So of their prospects. So I would say that any Malaysian company, including newcomers on whose prospects I am generally also at least neutral. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so in terms of INCO, it's, it's worse than I that. See. I see. Okay. So you, you basically team Malaysia, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not. You know, you know it's not geographically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, okay, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh. So yeah, no. Okay. Oh my god, it's uh. Actually, it's coming up to an hour now. I can't believe it flew by so fast. Yeah, know? there was a lot of stats. That's why. Yeah, yeah interesting was, uh, stats. Yeah, that was quite amazing, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I I think there's so much more to talk about, but uh, perhaps a second podcast. But before we end, right? I want to talk to you about. I think people are talking a lot about the vaccine. Yeah, right? and. What are your thoughts about the vaccine affecting the well gloves gloves production? What does that mean for the valuations? What does that mean, of course, then for the stock price? So vaccines and any kind of medication sure. uh, for COVID has a lot more. Uh, so the implications are broader than than with gloves. Mm. Uh, it has it has implications on the entire economy, for That's example. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so first of all, I want to say that th there have been a lot of misinformation floating around. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I dislike the most is that people seem to be uh, scared about not about the efficacy of the vaccines, mm. but about safety. Mm. Uh, which I, I, I can't comprehend. Maybe is some innate uh, human fear of uh, the unknown, mm. right? Because some of the vaccines are based on uh, you know, entirely new technology. Like, for yeah. example, you have M mRNA. So yeah. conspiracies going around. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure objectively what the reasons are, but this is, again, once again, not the right thing for people to focus on. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, people should focus mostly on efficacy and on logistics, these right. are the issues with vaccines. Yeah. Um, in terms of efficacy, once again, people have been focusing on wrong things, or they have been interpreting data mm -hmm. wrongly yeah. in the most um, in most cases. So, for example, one of the vaccines is Sinovac. Yeah. So uh, people have been saying, how is it possible that Sinovac has fifty percent efficacy in Brazil? Uh, 65 percent in Indonesia and 91 percent <laughs> in Turkey. Right. Yeah. So, I mean. There must be something wrong, right? But no, everything is completely right. Mm. All three of these results are right. The difference is that the tests have been conducted in different environments. Yeah. So, for example, in Turkey, you have had a lot more, uh, uh, like, stricter implementation of uh, <coughs> uh, whatever SOPs, the, mm. the local SOPs That's there right. in, in Turkey, yeah. as compared to, for example, in Indonesia, mm. let's say. Uh, in Brazil, you have a different variant of the virus that seems to have certain properties that allow it to escape immunity mm. to a certain extent. Mm. So th these are the reasons for why you have different efficacy rates. Yeah. But the vaccine is perfectly fine, right. perfectly great vaccine. I think in Malaysia, if you did a test in Malaysia, 
the efficacy rate was going to be very similar to Turkey, yeah. for example. Which is more than 90%. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think in most cases, there are no reasons for people to be worried about vaccines. Mm-hmm. Everybody should get vaccines. Yeah. Your question was in regards with uh, what what would be the implications. The implications. So so obviously, it's incredible that vaccines are here yeah. mm-hmm. and everybody is going to get vaccinated. And, uh, and, you know, COVID is not going to end. So this is something that many people have to understand. So it's going to become most likely it's going to become endemic. So mm. the only way how we can eradicate COVID is if right now you have, uh, what, what do you need, 14 billion vaccines <laughs> and you vaccinate the entire world in one month, for example, mm, mm. then you can eradicate it, mm. yes. But because the virus mutates and it mutates towards a, uh, a variant yeah. that escapes previously acquired immunity, mm. Uh, you, if you actually vaccinate one part of the world and another part, uh, eventually it will mutate to a version that to, to yeah. which you will need a new vaccine, for example. Yes. Right. So um, it's 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 going to it's going to be with us for pretty much forever. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we are going to have lockdowns forever, mm. for example. So mm. this is something that people need to understand. So we are not going to see, you know thousands of people dying per day, like for example, in the US, how it's happening nowadays, Yeah, that's not going to be forever. Um, another thing that people need to understand is that unfortunately, even though you have the vaccines, we don't have the, cap- the production capabilities to produce enough vaccines for the whole world. Yeah, This is a big, this is a major issue. So even if you get logistics done perfectly, which we are already seeing that in in countries that have uh, complicated geographies, for example, like the U.S. is one of the countries, actually. Uh, The rollout is slower than than what was projected, Mm -hmm. for example. But let's say that we assume logistics are going to do fine. Uh, You still have the problem of production Mm. and you still have the the problem of rich countries uh, buying, buying up too many vaccines in advance. So, for example, Canada at one point had... Uh, contracts with manufacturers for 500% coverage of its population. Five times. Wow. <laughs> Where so are all these Canadians coming from? <laughs> no, no, they're, they're not they're Canadian. <laughs> no, he's just yeah. saying, yeah. <laughs> it's a joke. Sure. Yeah. So, so what, what this means is that in the end of the day, I, I did some calculation in December or something yeah, like this. Yeah. So you would, you would have within 2021, enough vaccines to cover about only 25 to 30% of the population of the world beyond the few rich countries that overstocked on vaccines. So, for example, the Economist Economist Intelligence Unit, it did a study on all the contracts and all the manufacturing facilities and, and, and production capabilities and so on. And it turned out that, for example, for China, mm-hmm. the... Uh, the um, the most likely end of the vaccination campaign when at least 60%, we're not talking about 70 or or 80%, just 60% of the population is going to be vaccinated is third quarter 2022. Mm, Okay, a year and a half. Yes, so for India is fourth quarter quarter 2022. Mm. And uh, and this is good news actually, because for example, initially, one of the things that I was worried about personally was that India was going to lag behind very significantly. Mm. But fortunately, uh, the government has done, has taken some prudent measures. So for example, the biggest 
manufacturer manufacturer of vaccines in the world is the Serum Institute in India. Okay. And they have reserved huge amounts of the AstraZeneca vaccine ah. for internal usage in the country. So that's why they are able to actually get so uh, you know enough vaccines for them to actually be able to get vaccinated by the end of next year. Yeah. So again, this is this is about next year, right? Yeah. Uh, another thing that people don't realize is that out of the top 20 country, most populous countries in the world, I think 15 or 16 are in Asia and Africa. Mm. And most of these countries are going to be down with their vaccinations by end of 2022, 23, 24. So, so, so what does this mean for, for gloves? I guess that's my yeah. question. Does, so, it, does it matter at all? Because a lot of people are think that it matters. What, what, what does it mean to you? Sure. So in terms of direct effects on gloves, yeah. as we have discussed, it, it will result in ASPs mm-hmm. going down. Yeah. But the, the drop will be gradual. So it will not uh, be... So it wouldn't it, be sudden. You'd be, okay. yeah, it's it, not going to be plateaued. Right? Yeah, it right. will not be a reverse V-shape not, or something like this. Cliff, right? yeah. Yes. So um, this is in terms of gloves, but again, as I mentioned, the implications are much broader than sure, for gloves, sure. right? Yeah, so, yeah. so we are going to be seeing, like for example, if you if you do manage to travel, if we uh, set up a system where you have uh, you know green passport or whatever that you have been vaccinated or yeah. whatever, which I am a bit worried about, uh, maybe another topic. Yeah. But uh, even if you have that opportunity, let's say by the end of this year or sometime next year. Uh, you'll still be seeing people at the airports wearing gloves. Mm. And uh, right. when, when you go to sense. the hospitals, uh, so when you go to the restaurant, you'll be seeing... So, for example, in the US, you already have uh, requirements from the CDC that are about wearing of personal protective equipment at in certain industries like the hospitality or, or food and beverages. Mm. So uh, this is not going to disappear right. overnight. So would it be fair for me to say that uh, so your view about gra- uh, ASPs dropping gradually is more of a supply increase rather than a demand increase? Am I right to say that? You mean demand decrease? Decrease, yes. Yeah. Uh, so right so it, it, it will go two ways. So yeah. it w- demand will be decreasing and supply will be increasing. Which one do you think is going to be faster? Uh, so I think supply is going to increase faster. Okay. okay. Uh, and the main reason for this is because uh, ASPs will be elevated for a while now mm-hmm. and uh, companies will want to capture these higher ASPs as soon as possible. So that's why, for example, many people were wondering why Top Glove suddenly wants to go and uh, you know, look for 7.7 billion ringgit from the Hong Kong market, mm. right? So it, it uh, objectively, the company doesn't need that because the amount of profits, uh, you know, it pure profits, yeah. it, it, it's generating and it's going to generate, it will make this amount, uh, you know, unnecessary. You yeah. can say in the long run, it yeah. would be unnecessary, but the company wants to capture as much of this high demand at high prices as possible. So yeah, supply will rise faster than demand will fall. And at, and the weird thing is again, that people are focusing on demand. Mm. So they are focusing on, you know, COVID pandemic ends and- That's you, it, it's you, a cliff. You, you, yeah. And, and then, and then uh, the most frequent thing that I'm hearing is that people say, okay, pre-pandemic, Top Glove was earning 500 million per- uh, Per quarter. Per, uh, uh, per, per year. Per, per year. Yeah, per year. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and this was in the good years, like yes, the last yes. few years, for yes. example, or our Supermax was earning 150 million. Yeah. So if the company is earning 500 million per year and the valuation is at 50 billion, yeah. you know, this, 
you know, objectively, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just that people don't understand that we are never going back to uh, to how it was pre-pandemic, unfortunately. And, and this is not just about glass. This is, uh, you know, much yeah. deeper than yeah. That. Well, uh, you know, I really hate to end this podcast, but I just want to say that uh, thanks to this podcast, um, I think my gloves IQ went up by about 50%. Same here. Thing. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Um, can't wait to have you back on when we get new updates. Before we end, right, is there, where can people find you? Yeah, where can people find you? Um, so I would suggest to everyone to just register for Stockbit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, so stock in order to be able to read on Stockbit, you have to be registered. So it's kind of private, yes. and this is something that I like. Okay. So I am active there, and there are a lot of great guys there that share a lot of very valuable information and research. And uh, uh, I think it's it's suitable, especially for probably younger investors. I see. Okay. Uh, because most of the research that is done is, for example, the, the guys they are focusing a lot on tech or okay. high or high growth companies. Okay. So uh, yeah, I, I will. All right. I All right. Thank you that. so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, as I said before. And uh, guys, for those listening, I hope you've been thoroughly educated as I was, as I'm sure John was as well. Yeah. And I'll see you guys in the next podcast. Thank you, guys. Bye bye. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye.